Hey everyone, it's Shab. Um, just a few announcements here before we get started. Um, first, thank you so much to Patrick or Padamaru in game for releasing this via Farming Eternal. Again, I can't um, put audio on the site on Let's Talk Limited, so without without Patrick, this would not um, be released into the world. So thank you so much to him. Um, he and Hats actually need a break from from the show from the podcast farming eternal this week so i will be helping out i mean the guys have only you know given me a platform to talk about my work and hosted a section for me in their discord um and just have continued to be supportive so they haven't done too much for me and i guess i will um do them a favor and do a solo shop episode so keep an eye out for that um and but really, thank you so much to Hats and to Patrick for um, for hosting this episode. Um, I don't know how I'd, I would release it without them. Uh, second announcement, I will be um, on Cassandra's stream this coming Saturday, December 19th. I will be on with both Cassandra and Sunnyvale. Um, we will be doing a Quadrant Theory focused review of the commons and uncommons in empire of glass so i'm very excited about that we haven't nailed down an exact time yet it will probably be around 11 a.m um eastern standard time would be my guess and again that's december um, 19th uh, so please keep an eye out for that i i am really looking forward to it i tune in to cass's stream for you know differing amounts of time but like every saturday and sunday morning part of my routine so i'm very excited to be on the show Cass is the first streamer that i started watching when i started seeking out eternal content and he obviously is just so welcoming and supportive of um newer players that i, I can't imagine a more positive welcome into the eternal community so i am very excited to be on the show um third uh telemachos i'm not sure if that's how you say the name but has been running a tuesday night eternal tournament series i wrote about it a little bit at the end of the um the article the drafting empire blast article and i gave a link but also Stormguard, i think the numbers are seven nine eight um did an excellent write-up of of the tournament and talked about these uh, changes in the Stone Scar deck or the Stone Star Stone Scar deck in general. So a lot of really great analysis. Um, as somebody who writes about Eternal, I was really excited to see, um, you know, something from someone else, and they did a really fantastic job. And especially considering it was the the first thing that that they published, um, I thought it was great. And so if you enjoyed it, please let them know. And the last announcement is Let's Talk Limited will be having kind of our first promotion, I guess. Um, for a long time, I wasn't sure what I would offer patrons. Um, and I thought about, you know, having audio versions be something for the patrons, but I don't really like that idea. Like everybody learns differently. My articles are really long. Um, like if I really needed to learn and internalize this information, it would be easier for me to just listen to it. So I didn't like that. Um, 
So something that I've decided to do as a thank you for patrons is um, to start sending thank yous from my own personal magic collection. It seems like there is a lot of overlap between Eternal players and magic players. So I haven't quite figured out all the details yet. I will figure all of them out and probably put them at the end of the next article. Um, but what I'm thinking right now is if we, um, basically if you become a patron by the end of December, I will, um, send you two and a half times the value of your contribution in uh, magic cards or my own personal collection. So if you become a patron for $5, I will send you at least 12 and a half dollars, um, worth of magic cards from my collection as a thank you. And if you don't collect magic cards, um, I don't know if you have a pet that you really love. I can do a little a little write-up of your pet. That could be good. Um, or if you just, I don't know, my magic collection runs pretty deep. If you want me to just pick something and send it to you, I my magic collection really is just sitting in, um, like on a bookshelf. So I haven't known for a while what I'm going to do with it, but most of my magic collection I won by drafting, so um, I can think of no better way to use it now than to pay for some more drafts. So if you enjoy um, the content um, and you are able during these times, um, Let's Talk Limited will now be, um, yeah, we'll now have perks for patrons. Um, thank you notes and uh, cards from Shab's own personal collection. So keep an eye out for the details of that. Um, until December, I will send you two and a half times the value of your contribution. Um, at least that. I, I tend to be pretty nice. Um, and then after that, it will be, I will match it twice as much. Oh, and I, I almost forgot. Yeah, if we get to 12 people, um, if the site gets to 12 patrons, by the end of December, I will give away a fetch land to a patron at the end of every month um, in 2021. And if we get all the way up to 31 patrons by the end of the year, I will give away um, a Zendikar expedition every month in 2021. So I took some pictures of those um, just to give a sense of the scope of my magic collection. I, I took a few pictures of lands and put them in the written content section of the Farming Internal Discord. Um, I have four of each land pictured. I think there's 60 lands pictured. Um, so my magic collection runs pretty deep. I'm not too worried about uh, running out, and I've got some really sweet cards to send people. So keep an eye out for the details of that. Um, hope you enjoy the audio version of Drafting Empire of Glass. Zero games played. Fresh out of grad school, I could have written a pretty extraordinary 30-page paper about improving speech and language therapy outcomes um, for individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Google Scholar and I were best friends, transition sentences flowed effortlessly while I typed, and I had a campus full of academic and professional resources at my disposal. Fresh out of grad school, if I had to perform 30 minutes of direct therapy with an individual with ASD, panic, silent screaming. Nothing therapeutic would have happened, and it would have ended with this frazzled man repeatedly muttering, 
I'm so sorry. I'm new at this. Knowing an abstract complex process in theory is far different from being able to perform that process in action. I could have told you how to do therapy. I couldn't have done it. When it comes to another abstract and complex process like draft, it's one thing to know heuristics like draft flexible cards, stay open, or draft the open color. It is another thing entirely to sit down at a draft table and actually execute those simple concepts. Knowing something in theory is not at all the same as being able to apply that knowledge. So, do I know how to evaluate the new eternal draft format, Empire of Glass? Yeah, in theory. I have some ideas about how other people do it. During my first guest appearance on Farming Eternal, Patamaru explained how Sam Black tests archetypes in new limited formats, and then asked me about my process. In his mind, these two things are related. Ah yes, my counterpart, Sam Black. Very similar resumes, he and I. One of us is a potential Magic Hall of Famer for his various deck-building innovations, contributions to the game, and I didn't even know this until I looked up his um, Wikipedia so I could link to it in the article, but he, he also has three Pro Tour top eights, um, so not only known for his deck-building innovation, um, yeah, also the three top eights, so I didn't know that. Very much like me. Um, yeah, and one of us is making line drawings and thinking, how can I make more Jeopardy jokes? Here's how Sam Black does it, Shab. How do you do it? Um, <laughs> so then I included a couple memes, one of which is Yosemite Sam, just taking shots kind of all over the place. Um, I imagine Sam Black identifies what's important in a limited format with a pretty high degree of accuracy. Um, I have listened to Ben Stark and LSV talk about how they approach new formats. Um, I've never actually done it on my own, so I'm just kind of taking shots at a lot of different stuff, and every week I'll kind of review what was right, what was wrong, what's yet to be determined, and um, yeah, should be fun. Evaluating limited sets. Now that we've lowered our expectations, let's go ahead and dip them down a little further. Evaluating a new draft format requires a depth of knowledge that I don't possess. Let's talk for a moment about my actual area of expertise, language. When you describe something, you use information that both you and the listener are already aware of to inform them about something new. If someone who plays competitive card games asked, what's eternal? You'd probably reply, it's like magic or it's like Hearthstone, but... And then you'd explain the differences but you'd use those games because that person knows those games. They'd already have a framework in mind, so you wouldn't need to describe it in complete detail. If my Nana asked me about Eternal, I'd probably just say, it's a game I play on my phone, because everyone is familiar with the concept of games. Ideally, I'd have a deep pool of limited formats in my head to draw from, <laughs> but I don't. The actual number of magic draft sets that I've really learned, like, I know and could play well, because there are definitely formats um, that I've seen other people draft, and I kind of, like, know which decks were good, but I never actually drafted those sets. Um, 
the fairy tale themed one. The name is escaping me at the moment, but like that one, I know a lot about um, Eldraine, Throne of Eldraine, but I never actually drafted it. So the, no the number of sets that I actually like know and could draft well, probably around 10. Um, I might know in theory how to draft like 20 different magic sets. Um, but that's not all that many considering how many new ones come out in a given year and like some of the sets that I know are master sets. Um, so I'm much closer to my Nana than I am to Sam Black when it comes to evaluating new limited sets. So now I've written a page and a half as pretext to this one sentence. I don't know how to evaluate all this market access. I've never played a limited set like it. Um, and then here I included a tweet from me, from the uh, Twitter account that I created for the site. Life is weird. Um, but if Twitter is your thing, it's at Let's Limited. Um, and it says, all this market access should make cards easy to evaluate and write about. And then I used the emoji with the mouth with the straight line. I have no idea what the names for different emojis are but that's the one I used. Doing my best, I reached into my brain with, okay, markets. What can we say about markets? And my brain came back with, obviously, this little piggy went to the market. Uh, one stayed home. Uh, another had roast beef. So that's what my brain is right now. Sam Black's mind works similarly, I bet. Throughout this writing, I've typed set 10, because I can't type the words Empire of Glass without hearing Stone Cold Steve Austin Gin Show music in my head. My mind is a circus. A month or two ago, I said the first thing I do when learning about a new format is play a lot of games. No! Wrong! Elite awareness over here. When a new format comes out, I read the cards. Always. Spoilers are great. Not sure I could stay away from them if I tried. So no, I definitely don't just start playing a lot of games when I want to learn about a format. First, I look at all the cards and I see if anything stands out. Um, here I just have a couple of memes where I talk about how my early writing um, really was, was well-referenced and I tried to talk about a lot of the fundamentals of draft that you know are kind of tried and true methods over you know, 30 years or whatever, 25 years of competitive card games. Um, and so all I'm doing, all I did in, in those articles was repackage that information and translate it into eternal. Um, and so it made me feel really smart, but uh, trying to do this on my own, like evaluate a limited set and um, tell people what I think about it. The fact that um, so many people are even listening to my opinion is, is still wild. Um, so I feel very unqualified um i don't want people to be like yeah this guy knows what he's talking about because i don't because I, I do my best and i get a lot of things wrong still um <laughs> that's actually something that i've kind of had to come to accept uh that if i'm going to write more about these limited formats like getting things wrong is inevitable it's kind of like losing like if you're going to try to evaluate formats, you're going to get things wrong. Um, 
but putting them in writing and publishing them for people to read later, like I know it's not a big deal, but um, it's just it's just something that I'll have to get over because um, it's important for the learning process to look at where you went wrong um, and see if you can fix that for for next time. Okay, so let's talk about some format definers. Um, we'll get an easy one out of the way first. Uh, send to market. It's five, um, cut, and you need two justice to cast it. It's put a unit into its owner's market. It's a fast spell. This card is uh, just, it's, it's as good as it looks. So <clears throat> let's all gather around for some group therapy. The urge is to read this card as put a unit into exile forever. Because that's essentially what it would be in most limited formats, but not this one. Market access is much more prevalent in Empire Glass, and like I expect Send to Market will still be premium removal in most games, though. Your opponent getting their unit out of their market feels like slightly more likely um, than someone getting it back from their void in a format with recursion. Um, it feels slightly more likely just because all of the, the factions have, have market access. Um, in a lot of games, it'll be just disappear. That's cheaper and, uh, and easy to cast. But the drawback is, it's definitely real. It is something that you have to be aware of. Um, because as much as it looks like, you know, like in a previous format or just Echoes of Eternity, Argent Depths, sending something to the market is pretty much taking care of it forever. That is not the case in, um, in this format. So... There will definitely be times where you send to market your opponent's unit and think it's it's gone forever, and they could very reasonably get it back like the next turn. So uh, that's just something to be aware of. The next card is a fire card. It's three power. It's a five five. It's barricade basher. It's three power. It's a five five. It's, it's reckless, and when you summon it, you discard a card. Um, yeah. This card is good. I <laughs> I made a joke saying that I'm already sick of playing against this card, but I'm pretty sure so far, I mean, I've only done two drafts, but I'm pretty sure I've cast this card more than I've played against it. So, um, but anyway, unless I'm misreading it and, oh, no, I wasn't. This card is a great top deck for fire decks. Maybe that seems, because if, if you draw it as a top deck, you don't have any other cards in your hands, you can just cast it as a 5-5. Five five. <clears throat> Maybe that seems like a weird way to think about a 3-drop, but drawing low-quality cards in the late game has been the demise of more than a few aggro decks. There are going to be so many games where I think, and a player like me who tends towards slower, more controlling decks, thinks, like, I've stabilized, like, just as long as they don't draw that big, dumb 5-5, five five, and then they're going to draw this big, dumb 5-5. Five five. You don't even have to think about decimating your conjurings if those are still boosted. Like, you can just decimate away. Um, so this is a very scary card. There's already been some discussion um, on the Discord that, like, there are ways... Like, yes, this is a card that you have to be aware of when you deck build, but there are ways in the format to manage it. Um, there's been a lot of great discussion about it. I am not going to dive into it right now because... I'm sure that Sonny and Cassandrith and I, um, when we do our Quadrant Theory uh, set review of 
Empire and Glass on Saturday. We haven't nailed down a time yet, but so it's going to be Saturday, December 19th, um, probably around 11 Eastern time, somewhere around there. But um, I'm sure we'll talk about um, Barricade Basher a lot. So we'll cover it there. Um, but I do kind of like this card because on the, like, yeah, as much as it's going to happen where I am going to get beat by it when my opponents draw it just as, as a top deck, um, this card does reward thoughtful deck building. So really good drafters are going to find ways to discard half cards like rustlings and snowballs, um, more often than average drafters over the course of a format. Um, and that kind of stuff adds up, like draft after draft after draft. Um, so they'll discard more half cards in this format, just like they sac- just like they sacrificed more half cards, like Shepherds and Copper Hall Porters, um, to Grizzly Contest and Siphoner Paladin during Argent Depths. And that won't be an accident. It will be the result of good planning um, and drafting and deck building. The concept of uh, a half card or just the value of a card in general is a really difficult topic. Um, that I'm planning to cover in a future article. Um, Marshall Sutcliffe wrote, I think it's on Channel Fireball, wrote an article. Um, so that's that's the article that I'm going to be reading and, and basing mine on. So if you're interested before I write mine, there is an article already out there. Um, I just Googled value of a card MTG, and that's what came up. So, <clears throat> But anyway... For now, let's just say that really good drafters find ways to get incremental value out of phrases like sacrifice a creature or discard a card. Um, next, we have relics. So relics are abundant both in number and payoffs. Um, evaluating the common and uncommon relics is pretty difficult right now because the, the synergy of a set can really impact a card's value. Um, and that being the case, I always tend towards cards with a mediocre floor uh, but upside, like relay point. So what I mean by mediocre floor, but upside, the worst case scenario when you cast relay point, um, it's a relic, it costs two, it's a time and a justice, summon, play a 2-1 soldier, exhaust four of units and sacrifice relay point to play a 5-5 five, five sentinel. So the worst case scenario when you play this card is you get a 2-1 soldier. Fine. And then if... Um, if you get to, I don't know how likely it is that you would get to four four units and like that you would have a round to sacrifice. That really depends on what the format looks like. But worst case scenario, you have a two one. Um, I really tend to stay away from relics like Jade Lone Stone. Um, so it's one. It's a justice summon stun an enemy unit with uh, one power or less, and then you can pay one or one attack or less. I guess that is in Eternal, and then. Uh, you can pay one, exhaust a Sentinel, and sacrifice Jade Lodestone to play a Justice Sigil from your deck depleted. So I think that this card, like, I played just a couple drafts this morning, so I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with the format now, and I can definitely see why this card is very useful in a lot of decks. Um, so it's not an unplayable card, because meeting the condition of exhausting sentinel is significantly easier in this format than it would be any other time so um, that condition being so much easier to meet makes me like this card a little bit more 
Um, but anyway, <clears throat> the floor on this card is you don't stun anything. You don't have a sentinel to go get um, this other justice sigil. So the floor on this card is just a dead card. So I tend to stay away from cards like that, um, whereas a card like Relay Point, which makes a 2-1 soldier, I'm fine with. Um, okay, so the next card that I talked about was Okessa's Audience, and that's the one-power relic. It's colorless. Um, summon Plunder. You can pay two and sacrifice Okessa's Audience to create and draw a 5-5 Sentinel. And all I wrote was, it seems important, but I don't exactly know why. Um, and after just the two drafts I did this morning, can confirm this card is important. Um, especially with a card that I thought about writing about in the format definers um, section, and I really should have trusted myself a little bit more, um, but it's Core Tap Maximizer, the time two drop. Uh, it's a 1-1 one, one with Deadly, and if you have a Relic, you get plus two power. Uh, so in the Sentinel's deck... You know, not like I've played much, but just um, playing with it once and playing against it a couple of times. Okessa's Audience on turn one and then Quartet Maximizer on turn two is going to be one of the sought-after play patterns, um, like one of the scariest play patterns in this format, especially because it's just too common. So when you go Okessa's Audience on one, which you shouldn't always do because of the plunder effect, but in the Sentinels deck specifically, or in Time deck specifically, if you can go Okessa's Audience on one and then Quartet Maximizer on two. So Quartet Maximizer as a 1-1 deadly, you usually think of those units as um, as just defensive, you know, and, if, and really they can tap in for one at a time. But in this deck, in the Sentinels deck, and I mean, when I say the Sentinels deck, I've played the Fire Time version, though I think they're, that... Um, time Justice is is probably another one. Um, <clears throat> but going turn one Okessa's Audience into turn two Quartet Maximizer, like a weirdly proactive card, um, because it, it's basically saying, like, you if, if you don't deal with this next turn, I am going to start casting five drops. Like, five drops or six drops while you're casting three drops. So it's, it's a pretty ridiculous ridiculous play pattern and now i'm talking about core tap maximizer i am going to draft that card early and often um trying to maximize the chances that i can do exactly this play a relic on one and the maximizer on on turn two so yeah it's a weirdly proactive card in the developing phase because it it ramps you and your opponent just kind of has to deal with it otherwise that's just such a huge advantage. Advantage. Um, so, Quartet Maximizer is excellent, and it's and it's one of the better answers to the Barricade Basher because it's a five-five, but it does have Reckless. So, Ping effects were already more valuable in this format because of Regan, but I think they're going to be. I'm going to value them even more because Quartet Maximizer on turn two with the Relic on turn one is just going to be such a scary um, and common play pattern. I think it's it's going to be one of the common play patterns of the set. So 
something you definitely have to plan for. Um, so Quartet Maximizer is a card that I'm loving, and part of the reason I love it so much is Okessa's Audience, the one-draft relic that plunders, and you can pay two in sack to make a Sentinel because, yeah, the play pattern is just so ridiculous. And Okessa's Audience, I'll also be drafting pretty early because... It helps. It, it activates all your relic synergies if you need one. Um, like if you need to have a relic in play, it only costs one. Fine. Um, if you need a relic in your void for some reason, it only costs two to sacrifice it. When you sacrifice it, you get a five-five. Um, so if you draw it in, if it's in your opening hand, you can smooth out your draws if you need to. If you draw it late, you can get a sentinel and turn one of your sigils into into a trove, so Okessa's Audience is definitely like a B-boring kind of card. Um, it's great in a lot of situations. Uh, it's it's not committal because it's because uh, it's factionless and it's cheap. So Okessa's Audience now is not a great time to figure out like how many of these you can potentially get in a deck because it really will depend on how the community at large values it when when the dust settles a little bit um so that's okessa's audience and a little bit of quartet maximizer which is not in the article um should have trusted myself a little bit more and put that one in but i did not uh what do i have left just a little bit and then i'll pause um so i put an example of how i learned about a format um, so I've written a couple of articles just about, like, learning in general. Um, and these games are just far too hard to figure everything out on your own. So I try to outsource a lot of what I do by asking other people questions or just looking um, at the discussions in, in different discords about what people are saying about cards. And so a card that was brought up is malaga munitions it is a fire card it costs three and a single fire it's a relic you summon it you play a 2-1 weapon on one of your units you can pay three and sacrifice it to play a 2-1 on one of your units and so cotillion who at the time of publication was number 21 ranked drafter i've definitely seen him in the top 10 so it, you know somebody who can play said i find munitions to be quite good so far in the format um, despite the cost versus weapon imbalance. Buffs flyers, which are already hard to deal with. Buffs unblockables if you pick up that shadow weapon. Makes go-wide boards and skycrag much more effective. Synergy with the lifesteal justice drones. One more way you can play your power when you would otherwise run out of gas. Um, so it's a card that I... Like, when I read it and I just evaluate it, I'm like, yeah, this card like does good things, but it's not a card that I would... That I am likely to draft and put in my deck, like, if this is just not what I want to be doing on turn three um, in a fire deck. So this isn't a card that I would typically look at. Like, I would tend towards not drafting it. Um, here is more than just, I played this and it was good. Um, it, it seems correct to me when I read it and mentally, so I moved this card from potentially unplayable to potential sneaky value. Um, just watching streams and stuff so far, it seems like people like this card a lot, so I'm going to be interested to talk to Cass and Sonny about it um, on Saturday. Um, but if Cotillion's right, in my opinion, to Munitions is much is like closer to accurate just because I you know, read what he said and it, it checked out 
um, from a fundamental perspective, then that makes me just like a slightly better set 10 drafter. And that's really all draft is. What uh, I have to always double check myself to call it t- t- Tyler or John, but uh, Tyler. Um, not John Avon, Tyler Cheney. You know, called it the knowledge grind, and that, that's exactly what it is. So now I'm an, a little bit more knowledgeable about um, Malaga munitions, and draft is just drafting well is just that times ten thousand. Uh, so the last thing about relics, I've been hearing a little bit about Aurelian relics, and I had to look this up. Aurelian is time shadow primal, um, so like the rats deck colors. Uh, seems like a supported powerful archetype. Relic decks in general can be very difficult to draft and deck build because they, when they're built incorrectly, like, or when you just draw the wrong half of your deck, they just don't function. Um, so it's, yeah, relic decks are, if, if it ends up that they are one of the supported formats, uh, supported decks, that will be very fun to figure out um, the best way to draft and build those decks will be great. So that's, something that I am going to be keeping an eye on. Um, You know, somebody who, like, I'll do my best to draft those decks if they look open while I'm drafting, but my plan for right now is to look for seven win Aurelian Relic deck lists or keep an eye out on stream for somebody who drafts this deck and drafts a good version and see if if they can do that consistently. Um, Consistency is another thing that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit. Okay, so next I'm going to talk about um, one of my favorite things in the new set, which is the grafter cycle. Uh, so each faction has a two-drop. That's They're all two-twos, and they all have uh, a static ability. So like the fire one has decay, the justice one has endurance, um, and they all also have an ultimate. Um, so like the fire one has pay three to swap a card from your hand for a fire card or a factionless card from your market. Uh, then give a unit in your hand plus one, plus one decay. So they're all like that in that they give something in your hand, the static ability that they have, and you can go grab a card um, of that color or factionless card from from the market. Um, these two drops have relevant abilities. They are good early. You can trade them off with other two drops if you really need to. They are, um, they are good late. I will be drafting these early and often. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I really like this cycle. I suspect that the sweet spot for these will, will be turn five um, because it gives you a little bit of a chance to see how the game is developing. So right, like if you can play another two drop on turn two and then on turn five, probably, yeah, play the grafter and then swap something in your hand and boost your six drop you know that's pretty ridiculous so i love this cycle um newer players don't rush to activate this on turn three if you have another option a majority of the time during the developing phase so turns three to six um putting more units onto the battlefield is a higher priority which you know contradicts what i what i just said a little bit about you playing it on turn five and going to um, get something from your market. Obviously, everything is is context dependent. That's it's almost like a second mode on the grafters. You know, you can play them as two drops or as five drops. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, in general, 
you don't want to activate this on turn three. You want to add something else to the board. So, uh, and the longer you wait, the more likely it is that you're trading a card you really don't want for a card in your market, and you also have a better idea of how the game, of what you need to get from your market, because you have more information about the game. Um, between the relics and the activated abilities of units, it looks like this set has a lot of ways to spend power, and that makes me really happy. Uh, more decisions rewards better decision-making. Um, tough decisions are a large part of what make games like Eternal great. Um, so I'm really excited about players having multiple options on every turn. Empire Blast has Signpost Uncommons, um, which I love. I think they make for a great draft experience. So uh, Signpost Uncommons are multi-faction cards that give you a clue about what the deck is trying to do. Um, so if you read Grubbot, it's a 3-drop, it's Fire and Primal, it's a 2-2. Two -two. Uh, when a Grenadine hits the enemy player, create and draw a treasure trove. When Grubbot hits the enemy player, reduce the cost of each treasure trove to, uh, in your hand by one this turn. So, if you read Grubbot, you could reasonably con reasonably conclude that Grenadine is a theme in Skycrag. Um, Stormhalt Battalion, it's a 2-2, two -two. it has Aegis, as someone's uh, kill a stunned enemy unit. Um, tells you that Huru still cares about stun effects. And based on its 3-drop uncommon Deathwing, Arjunport's theme is Broken Cards. Um, so it's a three drop in Argentport, so Justice and Shadow, it's a two, three, it's Flying Deadly and Lifesteal. Um, it also has Valkyrie Warp, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so yeah, these haven't all been spoiled, but I tend to love Signpost on Commons. They send a really clear signal for what your deck wants to be doing. Um, Draft is really hard, and Signpost on Commons make it just a little bit easier. Early indicators, like reading the cards and just the first two drafts that I've done, I I really think this will be a set that rewards the informed. So I think Set of Glass... Set of Glass. I actually published that, yeah. That's how I wrote it throughout the whole thing, and then I thought I went back and changed all the sets to Empires, but I guess not. So yeah, I suspect a lot of uh, Empire of Glass decks will fall into these three categories. A. Decks built around synergies and relics that do cool stuff, like when they work, but are usually pretty bad. Um, B, boring decks, the kind of decks that I usually advocate for and build. Focus a little bit less on synergy, like at this point in the format, more on individual card evaluation, and they just cast their cards consistently. Um, C, effectively uses the attempted synergies in A, so, you know, all the cool stuff that the A decks are trying to do, while adhering to the rules of B, so the deck building fundamentals. Um, B is pretty much where I live at the start of format. I let other people have their fun and their stories with their, you know, A decks that do really sweet, powerful things. Um, but when I start to lose... <laughs> when I start to lose to an archetype or, like, cards... As you guys know, all professional um, recording studios have their resident baby. So that's mine. My resident baby is here. She's about a month old. And other than the fact that she doesn't sleep at night. She's perfect. Um, so yeah, when I um, start to, to lose against an archetype or a certain cards, combination of cards consistently, then I know someone has figured something out, um, like how to do something powerful on a consistent basis. So, and it makes me think of Echoes of Eternity draft in a way um, that there was kind of like a formula to 
Like you could just play really powerful cards and get it right sometimes, but there was an actual way where you could build decks to do those really powerful things consistently. Um, so I'm not claiming that the draft experience or the gameplay will be similar, but it makes me think of that a little bit. Um, with so much going on in the new format, like market access, relic synergies, etc., there are likely a lot of narrow edges to be gained during draft and deck building um, once the rare drafters and bots have done their thing. I usually don't draft enough on my own to find those small edges. Um, I usually learn them from my opponents. Um, <clears throat> but if you're looking for a well-informed uh, opinion, Tyler Cheney has been a, a guest recently on Farming Eternal. Um, he streams pretty regularly. His approach to draft really is, is excellent. Um, he experiments with a lot of different archetypes to see what's viable. And I think on a recent episode, he was, he was talking about mono faction decks. And he's like, yeah, I drafted mono shadow decks for four hours yesterday. And I was just so jealous. <laughs> um, but yeah, check out his stream if you want great analysis of the, the current draft meta. Because at pretty much all points, he'll be, be probably better informed than I am. So moving on. Drafting B decks was well within my skill set without consuming eternal content. So I could build boring decks, you know, um, without listening to podcasts or reading articles or things, but C decks where, you know, taking advantage of the synergies of the set and doing those things consistently. Um, I couldn't quite figure out how to do that on my own. Um, that's when I started looking for content. So um, yeah, I started listening to draft podcasts like Eternal Journey and Farming Eternal. Um, I definitely recommend you you check them out. If, if you're into draft, if you like Constructed, you should definitely check out the Friends of Eternal. Um, I will be adding a resources section um, to the site for with a collection of resources that I use. And I just want to say, if I don't mention like a particular resource, it it's not that I, I don't like or enjoy that, um, like whatever it is, I just, I don't have that much time to consume content, so I don't get to as much of it as I would like. So if I, if you don't hear me talk about a streamer or, or something in particular, it, it's probably just because I'm not aware. Um, so anyway, yeah, I started with Eternal Journey and Farming Eternal. Um, yeah, and I'll be adding a site. Um, a section on the site with resources that I used. And then I have a section for basically for, for Direwolf, just begging for more draft tournaments. Uh, so I said I was perfectly con content to get crushed by the elite drafters until the 2020 draft championship was announced. Um, but once that tournament was in my brain, um, like those B decks, those boring decks were no longer acceptable. And I, I started looking for content so I could get better. Um, so more draft tournaments, I, I think would, undoubtedly get more people interested in draft um and i write a little bit directly to direwolf offering them uh, draft tournament reports or feature profiles of top eight finishers or deck techs with unnecessary jeopardy themes um yeah draft tournaments would be great so i would be happy to write about them and um yeah next we'll talk about context so context matters a lot. This is something that I talked about in Quadrant Theory Part 2. Um, it matters when you evaluate limited cards, it matters during the draft, context matters, it, life matters, context matters a lot in most things. So, I here we have two magic cards. We have Magnus Bray and Angler Drake. Angler Drake is a six drop, it's a 4-4 four, four flyer. Uh, when it enters the battlefield you can uh, bounce another creature. 
and Magma Spray is a um, it's an instant. It costs one red. It's it deals two damage to a creature, and if the creature would die this turn, exile it. So it's gone forever. Um, so one is kind of like Char, and one is kind of like Ancient Serpent, um, in that it's a big flyer with a desirable effect. Um, so there's no doubt which card is more powerful. And you'd be correct to take the big flyer in most limited formats, but not this one. So in that draft format, Magma Spray is the correct choice, and it's not particularly close. Amonkhet was very aggressive, and Magma Spray was in contention for best common in the set. Most drafters, I think, would have been more than happy to start their drafts with two of the removal spell. I think that I saw a, a draft where John Finkel started a draft with at least one or two Mag Magma Sprays, but I looked for it, couldn't find it. Um, the Angler is an incredibly powerful card, but it didn't fit in that format. So looking at these two cards, knowing nothing about Amonkhet, I would have taken the Angler. And I would have been wrong. Context matters a lot. So we can do a lot of theory crafting just reading the cards, but sitting down and playing the games changes card value significantly in some cases. Um, one thing that's going to change the card values that does change card values pretty significantly, and, and apparently it's a very recent change, is that the cards are no longer weighted one time times 1 times 5 and times 10. It's just times 10 or times 1. And I... I love that um, because I think it rewards anticipation during the draft a little bit better. Um, it makes it, it just makes the, the draft format a little bit more consistent. So I think that's, that's a great change. Um, so what's in the draft packs, the curated packs can also change the, the value of a card significantly. So next we have my do not draft list. These are cards I won't be drafting and putting in my deck until my opponents show me why I'm wrong. I won't provide explanations. I'll refer you to my articles on card evaluation and the article Be Boring. If you're a very new drafter, it's okay for you to trust me and avoid these cards. If you've read my previous writing and want to become a better drafter, it might be helpful to think about why I don't like these cards. If you're not sure why I, like, why I dislike a card or just disagree, that's fine. I'm not saying these cards are unplayable. They're just not be boring cards. You're doing the right thing just by going through these thought processes and asking questions, which is far more important than getting the right answer about whether a card is good or bad. So this isn't a complete list, but um, the do not draft list I provided is arms race. It's two, it's a fire card, your units get plus one, each unit in your market gets plus two. Um, expand the reach, it's three and it's a time card. Plunder, then play a sigil of your choice from your deck depleted. Shadow Walk Cloak costs two. It's a shadow card. Uh, it's a weapon. Unit gets plus zero, plus zero, and unblockable, and uh, it plunders. Tools of Oppression is a factionless relic. It costs three. Once per turn, you may discard a card to stun an enemy unit. Uh, next is Exotic Purchase. It costs five. It's primal. It's a relic. Summon, draw a spell from your market. Pay five and sacrifice Exotic Purchase to draw a spell from your market. And last we have Orin Taxation, which is a shadow spell. It costs three. It has lifesteal. It says deal three damage to the enemy player. Um, maybe like 20, 30 minutes. I could actually check the time and see. After I published this, I got some feedback from Tempest Dragon King about having 
uh, Shadow Walk Cloak and Expand the Reach on this list. And he's right that those two cards are, are and, and I wrote a, a quick update that's in the article now, that those two cards definitely are more playable than the other ones. Um, and I'll talk about, and I said I'll talk next in, the, in next week's article about why they're on the list. Um, but the short version is that I created that list for newer The more likely you are to identify the situations where Shadow Walk Cloak and Expand the Reach are correct, like the decks where those cards belong, the more, the better you can identify what decks they go in, the less you need my help with a, a do not draft list. So something that I'll probably... Um, Maybe something I will do is for each set make a do not draft list so I could, if I could avoid just one, if I could prevent just one person from playing Reflection, it might be worth it to just have a do not draft list um, for truly unplayable cards because Shadow Walk Cloak and Expand the Reach aren't unplayable cards. It's just unlikely that new players are going to draft and deck build and use them effectively. Um, so I try to, to steer new players specifically away from those cards um so yeah i'll write all that down and put it in uh in next week's update next we have new mechanics we have regan um the first time this would be dealt damage prevent all of it units with regan are impossible for me to evaluate until i see what some typical gameplay is like so stay tuned all damage based removal gets slightly worse so like seer might not kill your opponent's um two drops with regan but defile will I'm definitely intrigued by Replicated Sellsword, the factionless three drop. It's a two-one with Regan and Plunders. Um, when you summon it, it really will depend. How good this card is will depend on how much um, it can trade with. Like if it can if it can consistently trade with two two drops, then this card is great. But that remains to be seen. Um, the next new mechanic is Valkyrie Warp. So if you have a Valkyrie in play, you can warp cards with Valkyrie Warp and get a bonus when you play them. And I wrote, Warp is a great limited mechanic. Remains to be seen how big of an impact this has on draft choices. Um, I got some feedback on Reddit. Somebody um, said they thought it was interesting that I thought this was a good limited mechanic, given how how narrow it is. Um, it, they, they saw it more as a constructed thing. But just to clear up a little bit of confusion, I think, because one of the only Valkyrie Warp cards that we have spoiled so far is um, Deathwing or at least when I wrote this and as of um, me recording this. And so the Valkyrie Warp ability on Deathwing, and again, it's a 2-3 Flying Deadly Lifesteal, and it has Valkyrie Warp. So if you have a Valkyrie in play, you can play this card off the, the top of your deck. At least that is my understanding, um, is that it, it works just like regular Warp, which is you can play cards off the top of your deck as if they were in your hand, um, but that the Warp part is only relevant if you have a Valkyrie in play. So, <clears throat> so Valkyrie Warp for Deathwing, the Argentport Uncommon. The top weapon of your deck gets deadly and lifesteal. So that part, the the top weapon of your deck gets deadly and lifesteal, like that's, yeah, there will be games undoubtedly where like that would be sweet, but the odds of you having the Valkyrie in play so that you can warp this and then having a weapon anywhere near the top of your deck to give this deadly and lifesteal to, like those two things are not that likely to to line up so um the bonuses that you get from them might be might be too narrow but the 
part that I think is a great limited mechanic is just the warp part. Um, playing a card off the top of your deck as if it's in your hand is the, is essentially the same as drawing a card. So any time that you can warp a card off the top of your deck, um, it's, it, it's correct to do so a lot of the time. Um, in previous formats, warp cards you know, were a little bit below rate be, to kind of balance that out. Um, the fact that you could sometimes play them off the top of your deck, but something like Deathwing is, I'm going to go ahead and say, perfectly fine on rate. <laughs> like a three drop that has Flying Deadly Lifesteal and is a two three. Um, so if you can potentially play that off the top of your deck, that's insane. So the question really becomes, how often are you going to have Valkyries in play? Um, I'm sure all of these cards will have these these other things that happen when you do warp them, but even if most of them are so narrow that they never occur, I am evaluating these cards just in the context of it has warp if I have a Valkyrie in play, how often can I have a Valkyrie in play? So, um, yeah, I'll probably write that down too and talk about it in the next write-up. So... Oh, we're at the end. All right, so drafting set 10. Um, so drafting Empire of Glass. Apparently I didn't change it from set 10 here either. The preview event that we're doing right now, um, I've only done a couple of drafts, but just enjoy it. Uh, new cards are sweet. Rare drafters and bots, they make formats difficult to pin down at the start. It, it really takes a couple weeks to get a real sense of what the format will be like. And what we're really after are not the niche, powerful things that like you can do in a format um an example that i was just thinking of was like tavrod and audacious ruse like yeah you could use those two cards to completely wipe your opponent's board and that was a cool powerful thing like a kind of unique effect in that format that you could know but i played that entire format without doing that one time so it's not exactly something that uh, improves your gameplay all that much. The, the things that improve your gameplay when you really know a format are just the things that, when you really know a format, it's not those um, those weird kind of one in a thousand interaction. Not that the Tavrod Audacious series was one in a thousand, but it's not knowing those interactions, though they certainly help. Um, knowing a format really is what decks can I build consistently and what are my opponents going to be doing consistently. So early on in the format, like we are now, that's kind of what I'm waiting for is not, I'm not like seeing what, what all the most powerful things are right now. I'm kind of waiting to see what the regular archetypes will look like. Um, so yeah, so that's where I'm at for now. It's, uh, it's the Wild West. Rares and legendaries will be everywhere. Um, even I force rares in draft because I want to play with them. Like I won't get too many opportunities to. So you'll lose with great decks. Um, you should be prepared for that. It's a really strange time. Enjoy all the new interactions you discover and don't tilt too hard when your opponent gets to do cool stuff. Have fun and let me know what you learn because I sure can't figure it all out on my own. I wrote for now, I'm only sure of one thing. I need to dodge Tyler Cheney in game, which is always true because that dude can really play. Um, but I just looked at the uh, draft leaderboard standings and number one, as of right now, is 2020 draft champ, Gunner116. Um, so the champ has uh, 
no plans of slowing down, I guess. And he streams as well. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Happy drafting.